Hello, America. I'm Robert Reese, and welcome to the CEO Show. We're here today with Dan Houston. How are you, Dan? Fantastic, Robert. Thank you for the invitation. And Dan is the chairman, president, and chief executive officer of Principal Financial Group. So the organization is about 140 years old. Talk about what it is to you as CEO, considering you've been there since, I think, like 1984. That's correct. 38 years. And I'm the 15th CEO over those 142 years. And Robert, if there's any one thing that you have a deep sense of responsibility for is continuing the culture, focusing on our customers, providing a great place for people to do their best work. But you know, job one for us is making sure we're satisfying customer needs. And talk about what your model is in business and your offerings and your types of customers. We manage and we provide record-keeping services for over a trillion dollars of assets under management. We do business in roughly 80 different countries around the world. We do that with about 18,500 associates. And what we're ultimately trying to do, Robert, is provide financial security for all. And to do that, we want to make sure our products and services are readily available. In large part, our group benefits and retirement business are provided at the worksite. We do institutional asset management across a whole range of asset classes, including equities, fixed income, real estate, alternatives. As I said, we do it in 80 different countries where we're providing retirement plan services, global asset management, and again, holding up our bargain to bring as many uh, relevant financial services products and protection products around the world to serve the needs of our customers. And I know on a personal level, financial literacy is something that's extremely important to you. Explain why and what you're trying to accomplish. When I think about that, that question, Robert, I think about it in the context of not all of us have the same access growing up as kids to information and have parents and mentors and people who provide us with a roadmap. So we make the assumption that when they become a customer of ours, we need to have the full range, the full gamut of knowledge and expertise and guidance and education gets people on board. I, I was fortunate to be in a household where my grandparents and my parents uh, emphasized frugality, uh, and they still do. Uh, my father certainly does. And, and again, I think we just have to remind ourselves that if we can package that and communicate it and make it readily available to all of our customers, they'll have at least the opportunity to gain financial security in retirement. And you really have a reputation, which is what drew us to you, about exceptional customer focus. How do you do it? And are there any unique practices that you have? I think the unique practices, Robert, in large part have to do to say, who is the customer? and really understanding who that customer is, what are their needs, what are their expectations, and of course, exceeding those expectations. We do a lot of focus groups. We have uh, a great deal of emphasis on better understanding and solving for the problems of a number of different constituents, small to medium-sized employers, large employers, individuals, people with large high net worth, people with lower net worth. It's our job to meet them of where they're at and provide them with a unique path that sets them on the path for financial security. So let's focus now to leadership. When you became CEO in 2015, you did something really interesting with the board that I wish more CEOs, frankly, in the three boards I'm on, would do. Talk about what you did. 
one of those practices, and it may seem quite obvious, but in my experience in talking to other CEOs, they don't necessarily do this. When our board convenes and we meet formally four times a year in person, and when there's not a pandemic, there's many other meetings throughout the year uh, for special subjects. And of course, we have a annual strategic retreat where we really drill down on the next three, five, and 10 years. But I actually have a meeting in advance with just the board and myself. And what I'm trying to do from Robert is to frame the next couple of days and help them understand, and like I'm sure many CEOs listening to this interview, there's a huge volume of material that we send out in advance. And sometimes it's hard to prioritize and understand what's really important, which is nice to know, and give them insights and perspective on my views on the presentations they're about to be part of over the course of the next two days. And then the postmortem to that, at the end of the session then, we go back and review what the agenda was in the beginning and talk about whether or not people got, the board members had the proper perspective. And that's what really contributes to a rich conversation about the stuff that really matters. It's not only managing expectations, but it's bringing everyone on the same page and clarifying what's important. Well, as you very well know, alignment with a board and alignment with a management team is critical. Matter of fact, that's where you see the wheels sort of fall off when you lack alignment in how you're delivering customer service, a lack of alignment on how you're allocating resources, whether it's capital, IT resources, human resources, all of those things require alignment. And it starts in the boardroom, making sure that we're aligned with the strategy. And one of the key things you also focus, I know, in your leadership is the concept of servant leadership. And I'd like to think that I'm, I'm never going to be a, a finished product, that we all learn uh, from each other. Uh, you know, and I learned from these same uh, video chats and becoming a better leader. But I think at the end of the day, I, I describe it as being a chameleon. It's my job to adjust to my leaders, to my management team, to my direct reports. And I need to be the guy that's willing to make that adjustments. I treat each one of my direct reports differently but always fairly, because I feel like I'm the one that's adjusting to their style, to their needs, at their circumstances at that point in time. How do you know what people's core essence is so you can treat them differently? As simple as this is going to sound, it's listening. I think as CEOs, we're inclined to want to do a lot of the speaking and sort of giving the directives. And I think we have to be even better listeners than we are uh, speakers because they're saying things oftentimes with a filter. And you need to be able to move past those filters and gather that intel. And I think when you ask the right question and you really listen to what they're telling you and you process that instead of immediately trying to come up with a response, you're probably in a better position to be a resource to your direct reports. And frankly, that goes for all of your employees. What are some of the great questions? Some people tell me what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? How'd you overcome it? What have you learned from this? What is your greatest achievement? Are there any great questions that you use in hiring people, in managing them? One question that I, that I try to routinely use, I know a lot of people might make a statement as a CEO, you missed your number. You didn't reach your number. Why didn't you hit your number? That's interesting, but frankly, not very provocative. My view is I ask the question, what resources do you need in order to accomplish your key performance measures? 
And that's a far more constructive way about going about it. What are the resources? Is it talent? Is it IT resources? What is it that you need in order to hit your numbers as opposed to the reverse? And although that may sound subtle, Robert, I think that's exactly why it's important to think about what is the right question. It really sounds like that's the difference between a a pushy CEO and someone like you, a, a servant leadership, who is really trying to understand how can I serve you? I'd like to think that that's a true statement. I'd, I'd also tell you that here's the reality in life. All of us are human beings. People lose grandparents. They lose, they go through divorces. Their child's having a difficult time going through school. Uh, someone's sick in the family. If you're deaf uh, or you lack uh, empathy and understanding what an executive might be going through because you never asked and you never really spent the time to get to know them, I think that's what creates a fracture, and it also is what starts creating sort of the tearing away of the bond of knowing what that executive might need in the way of additional support, and that's done on a personal basis. I've been on the record with this. I know in the current environment, we need to find alternative ways to get our work done. However, it should not somehow be the excuse not to have a personal relationship with your executives to understand some of the challenges they might be facing personally, which frankly could be even much larger than the issues they're facing professionally. Is there a website people could go to if they want to learn more about Principal? www.principal.com. Almost could have guessed that one. We're speaking with Dan Houston, and we're learning a lot about leadership and about framing conversations. Remember that. But we're about to take a commercial break. When we come back, We're going to talk about the topic that's hitting all of us. Everyone wants to know about inflation. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese back on the CEO show with Dan Houston, who is the chairman, president and CEO of the principal financial group. About 140 years, a trillion assets under management, 18,500 employees. In driving the economy, what everyone wants to know right now, you're advising people. What could you tell us about inflation, how to manage, how to prepare for it, and where we're really at on the continuum of the world? Well, I think where you start is the fact that we've got a large percentage of the leaders uh, and managers uh, in business today that have never really dealt with inflation. Principal has dealt with inflation for a long time because we do a lot of business in parts of the world where inflation is more concerning. And a lot of the products and services are actually uh, recognized that inflation. So inflation-adjusted bonds, for example, in Latin America is a, is, a, is a concept that we understand. Inflation's real. And although we may have seen a peak, I don't think, Robert, this goes away. And I think we all have to be then processing what are the things that we need to do to help our customers deal with inflation as it relates to the products and services that we provide to them? So I just paid $6.09 for gas this morning when I went. Is that going to change or is that just part of the inflation? My guess is a year ago, you may have been paying, it sounds like you're out east, and you may have been paying somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe $4 or three seventy-five a year ago. And I think it's going to be a long time before we get back to three seventy-five or 4 out on the East Coast. There is a huge demand still. The demand side is very high. We know that there's a war going on in Ukraine and there's 
there's an unfortunate set of circumstances that are driving inflation. But as you and I both know, it goes well beyond energy. It's in housing. It's in food production. At the present time, in the environment that we're in, the reality is there's still more demand and there is supply. If you have more demand than you do supply, you get inflation. And I think that's something we're going to live with for the foreseeable future. You're advising people. You do have, like you said, that unique experience of managing through intense inflation from your global footprint. What advice do you have to the average American on what they should do, be it from an investment standpoint, and I know you can't get into the main specific, or from a life standpoint? I think a couple of things. Uh, this is where discipline is helpful and recognizing there are, well, there are always ways for us to reduce our cost, our consumption. And I think we need to be mindful about consumption. As it relates to assets, one of my favorite charts looks back to 1900. When you look back into equity markets in the U.S. back to the 1900s, and all you see is up and to the right over that period of time. And along the way, even if you think about World War I, World War II, if you think about the Great Depression, if you think about 08 and 09, you could think about 9-11. In the grand scheme of things, those are always blips in that chart up and to the right. So diversified portfolios to go across fixed income and equities, not getting overly conservative. But there are products out there today that are great hedges for inflation. Commercial real estate, residential real estate. These are assets that if invested in properly with the right sort of manager and we're one of the top leaders in commercial real estate, you have two components, right? One is that rental component, the lease income that's coming from those portfolios. And we see that being contributed in the way of cash on a monthly basis. And then the appreciation of the underlying asset itself. So these hard assets that are available in the marketplace today do give you that hedge on inflation. Likewise, you don't overindulge. So a balanced portfolio would still recognize, for example, you could use tips for a portion of your fixed income investments to recognize the treasury does have in inflation protection, securities available. And we all know that different uh, attributes of domestic and international equities, some of those companies that we can invest in, some of those portfolios are designed to deal with companies that have a natural hedge for dealing with inflation. So again, this is where I think financial advisors provide their greatest value. One, to stay calm. Second, to educate and inform yourself. And three, to make sure you're continuing to be diversified into these portfolios. Thank you for that PhD. And everyone think about this. When Dan early on said financial literacy is critical, there's your start. Continue to learn. Now let's shift back to principle. You have this a very strong ESG strategy that tied into a mission. Talk about that strategy. As a society, we should always be striving to uh, push ourselves to always do better across environmental, social, and governments-related issues. We need to make sure that we're making progress moving forward. As I think about our own investment philosophies, and again, we do a lot of business in Europe, where ESG is maybe 10 years ahead of where we're at here in the U.S., they have that sort of mindset that we have to work together, we have to partner together, we don't demonize industries, we just need to show incremental improvement of reaching a point where sustainability is within reach for all of us. And I also think we need to be careful about there's 
cottage industries, and this is something I'm sure all the CEOs on this call understand, that they're standing up these boutiques and they're making judgments with their own algorithms, their own models, making judgment calls across this broad spectrum of issues. What our approach is, we tie it back to the mission of the company. We're gonna do what we think is in the best interest of our customers, our employees, our investors. And if we do that consistently really well, we'll continue to score 100 out of 100 and not let the, you know, the winds of a boutique or a third party somehow shift our views. Lastly, what I would say, Robert, is we actually tie Principles Foundation. We tie it right to the mission of the company, financial security for all. And so to the extent that our social platform improves financial literacy, improves financial well-being, sets more people up for financial success to our businesses and to the foundation, the better off we'll be in society. As a matter of fact, we actually have a global financial security index that we're going to be out in 40 different countries. We'll have results here in September that is going to give us a baseline in understanding what is the global financial well-being today and be able to provide your audiences and all the audiences out there with insights on how we can improve the financial well-being across these 40 countries. Let's go back to the fundamental, leadership. Is there any quote or any statement that really summarizes and codifies your leadership philosophy? You know, there is, and, and people who know me would know that I say this. It's from Thomas Jefferson. On matters of style, go with the flow. On matters of principles, stand like a rock. So when you think about transformative leadership, to be innovative, to be intellectually curious, to communicate well, to engage, all of those are effectively stylistic. But you have to anchor against the core values of the company around ethical and being trusted and being a good partner to your customers. And there you have it. Great having you on the CEO show, Dan. It's been an honor and a privilege, and thank you for inviting me.